we have to face the fact that we've already locked this planet into at least 1.2 degrees Celsius of warming. And in doing so, we've locked billions of people, primarily the most vulnerable among us who are the least responsible for this state of affairs into devastating consequences. So scalable technology is one of the few things that can actually help mitigate the impacts of things like extreme weather, reduced crop yields, water insecurity, you name it. So the whole realm of adaptation and resilience also needs attention and innovation. And that's that's an area we're also excited to, to spend our dollars and invest our money and make big bets in. Well, we've heard the clarion call on the imperative to invest in climate adaptation technologies and strategies. Now let's hear from someone doing just that. Joining us is Kristen Ellis, a partner at Lower Carbon Capital, which is a venture capital firm uh, founded by renowned Silicon Valley investor Chris Saka, who was on the ground floor with household names like Twitter, Instagram, Kickstarter. Lower Carbon focuses not just on companies that can help us potentially avoid a planet-ending climate crisis, but adapt to catastrophes should they befall us. Jack, why don't you fill in our listeners on uh, Kristen's bona fides? Sure thing, Rafe. Uh, Kristen Ellis, long story short, is a scientist who's worked on everything from cutting-edge clinical trials on cancer treatments to open-source robotics. She's spent a lot of time over the past decade researching for species-saving solutions, perhaps most prominently as entrepreneur-in-residence at Carbon 180, which is a Washington, D.C.-based nonprofit that advocates for CO2 removal solutions, including direct air capture and agricultural soil carbon. Kristen is also involved with the Open Air Collective and the MIT Climate Grand Challenges, both of which seek to remove gigatons of carbon from the atmosphere. So Kristen, welcome to Double Take. Thanks, so excited to be here. Oh, this is really great for us. The pleasure is truly ours. So, you know, when you guys at lower carbon look to deploy capital broadly speaking which seems like a safer bet right now companies addressing climate crisis avoidance or companies addressing climate crisis adaptation mm. i mean we're in the business of deploying risk capital first of all so early stage capital is risk capital that said i think they're equally safe bets um, I don't think it's unsafe to invest in slashing carbon emissions. In fact, I think it's an imperative for companies that want to actually survive and, and make a lot of money in the years to come. Uh, I also think it's imperative to invest in adaptation. I mean, look, we invest in, in companies that are, that are reducing CO2 emissions. And quite frankly, when we talk to, uh, when we talk to folks that are, that are investing alongside us, or when we talk about these investments, we're, we're we're thinking about like you know how are we going to invest in companies that are making substitute goods that are better more cost effective more delicious uh easier to access easier to use perform better and by the way are also better for the planet they also come with a lower emissions footprint they're also you know removing co2 from the atmosphere instead of emitting co2 into the atmosphere those are things that we're really bullish on and we invest in things across our portfolio uh, from new lithium mining technologies to uh, new uh, and alternative proteins, cellular agriculture, plant-based proteins, new agricultural inputs, substitutes for fertilizer that spews nitrogen dioxide into the atmosphere. We really sort of 
run the, you know, play the whole field on that. Uh, climate adaptation is, is important. I don't think we're in an either or scenario right now. I think it's imperative that we do both. And so another of our investment areas at Lower Carbon is buying more time for communities and ecosystems on the front lines of the climate crisis. We have to face the fact that we've already locked this planet into at least 1.2 degrees Celsius of warming. And in doing so, we've locked billions of people, primarily the most vulnerable among us who are the least responsible for this state of affairs into devastating consequences. So scalable technology is one of the few things that can actually help mitigate the impacts of things like extreme weather, reduced crop yields, water insecurity, you name it. So the whole realm of adaptation and resilience also needs attention and innovation. And that's that's an area we're also excited to, to spend our dollars and invest our money and make big bets in. A question, when you look at the myriad and, and some sometimes wild ways that entrepreneurs are seeking to help humans adapt to um, an inhospitable, hotter planet, uh, broadly speaking, are there particular areas right now that have you the most excited? One of the areas I'm the most excited about in the adaptation space is agricultural and industrial water efficiency. Um, we know that without efficiency gains, global water demand could exceed supply by 40% by the end of the decade. Uh, and the primary culprits of water stress aren't showers and sinks. You hear people talking about, you know, don't take long showers, don't leave your sink running. That's not really it. The main use of food or the main use of, uh, of water in the United States is the main use of freshwater is agricultural freshwater use. And a lot of that water gets wasted, right? A lot of that is from over irrigation, uh, legacy irrigation equipment. So one of the companies that we've invested in is building a universal retrofit for legacy agricultural irrigation systems to enable farmers to have remote control over those systems so that they can cut the water on and off from their smartphone from anywhere on the farm. It will also automatically cut off the water if, for instance, one of the sprinkler heads breaks, right? And so this is something that has already saved millions of gallons of water in, in the seed stage of the company. They've deployed 100 devices, just over 100 devices on farms uh, across the, the upper Northwest. They've already saved millions of gallons of water, right? These are technologies that we think, uh, you know, this isn't, this isn't climate science that's science fiction. This is actual technology that's actually ready. It's built on available supply chains that is able to be deployed today to solve these really pressing problems. So that's one area that I'm really excited about. You know, that that's a fantastic example, and I'm happy to hear that it's pretty much ready for market. But, you know, it's funny. One of the reasons you're on this podcast right now is because so many of the opportunities when it comes to climate adaptation are early stage. They are kind of, you know, that first couple of series in venture. We have a private markets team that does late, uh, you know, late stage investing. We're primarily public markets investors. And one of the things you can't help but notice is that most of these plays are not really available to us. And, and I just wonder why that is, given that science has been telling us for literally decades now that this was coming. Why are the markets being caught flat-footed? So if we think about the first wave of climate investing in the 2000s, when clean tech investing ended up getting a really bad 
wrap because we took a bunch of risks on on technologies that sound very similar to the technologies that we're taking risks on today uh and and you know we didn't actually see the outcomes that we wanted to see uh in the time frames that we wanted to see them it kind of it kind of soured a lot of people on investing there was a little bit of a lull uh we didn't hear as much about clean tech or the clean tech revolution um you know in the years tech traditional tech i guess the way that we usually refer to it in in silicon valley kind of took over and you had the ubers and the twitters you know dominating the sphere um really grateful to the people that put money to work in that first wave i think the issue previously is that it was way too expensive to start stuff back when we were investing in the early 2000s capex and opex were way too expensive uh, and so many of the things that people were trying to build required handouts from lawmakers because pricing did not make sense. There's a lot that's different now. Uh, huge computing clusters have developed and allowed nuclear fusion to be a reality. There are biological and agricultural advancements coming out of shared lab spaces that startups never could have afforded back then. Manufacturing is becoming orders of magnitude easier and cheaper. Electrochemistry, gene editing technologies, all of this has come so far in the last decade and a half that many of today's founders can piggyback on the work of people who took stabs at this before. Uh, we also have this, this burgeoning generation of scientists and technologists uh, who actually went into who actually went into training sort of under the looming dark cloud of the omnipresent threat of climate change uh, and, and the accelerating pace at which we're seeing things get worse. Um, and they went in knowing that they wanted to work on climate. Uh, and so people that used to, you know, in my field, go into biotechnology thinking they wanted to go work in, in pharmaceuticals or they wanted to work in clinical trials, which is what I was doing early in my career, now they're going in hoping that one day they're going to be able to work on climate resilient crops, right? That one day they're going to be able to work on uh, making chemicals from renewable biology instead of fossil biology. We have so many brilliant minds entering the space in the last five years. I think if we add to that uh, the fact that, you know, a lot of these companies are starting to near uh, later stages, I think there are going to be a lot of opportunities for investors uh, to invest in these companies soon at the later stages for consumers to buy these goods uh, and in general for people to, to, to participate in, in the second wave of, of early stage clean tech investing. What an interesting take. Thank you for that. If I could just follow up quickly. So just as the stars are aligning now, it feels like, all of a sudden central banks around the world are hiking rates like they never have before and the cost of capital is skyrocketing. How is that impacting investment in climate adaptation technologies and strategies? So we are living through weird times, right? There's still a petro-funded land war in Europe interrupting access to critical materials. Um, there's a lot of cost in, in new builds. The cost of supply chains is going up. The Fed is raising rates. Markets have responded to all of this accordingly. Uh, what we think this means for early stage climate tech startups, um, you know, a lot of our startups are feeling the squeeze, but 
we're actually glad to be investing in climate and we've seen some amount of strengthening in some parts of the sector. The companies that that our founders are building have real world utility and more likely than not are mitigating one of the problems that are currently being exacerbated by the rising costs of energy, broken supply chains, robust inflation, you name it. There's nothing that can fully insulate a company from a prolonged global market downturn. Uh, but again, we believe these companies are on the winning side, being on the side of cheaper energy, smoother supply chains, expanding access to materials that are better, that are cheaper. Um, that's unquestionably an asset in our minds. Also, policy and regulatory changes are too slow, but the recent, you know, the, the IRA, the CHIPS Act, there are a lot of things coming in and a lot of tailwinds emerging that are actually making it more attractive to think about investing in climate technologies to build climate companies in this environment. Um, what everyone else is experiencing is turbulence. A lot of our companies can experience as tailwinds. Some of them may be too far from commercialization to benefit right away, but we think this period will likely come out being unusually accelerative for companies that are building in these spaces, companies that are reducing emissions, companies that are trying to remove carbon from the atmosphere, uh, and companies that are working on uh, helping us adapt and be more resilient to a changing climate. So, Christian, you mentioned regulation, and I'm wondering if the private markets, in your view, can do all it takes here to get to where everybody wants to go, or will there need to be more capital infusion, more significant capital infusion from governments? Mm. We, we always welcome the capital infusion from governments. Uh, we think this is great. Again, I refer to these as tailwinds, right, for us um, and not as necessities because we tend to bet on founders that are building a better future with tech that is just superior and that is going to win in the market on, on its own merits, right? We think, that, we think that the technologies that the companies we're investing in uh, are building, we think those technologies are going to speak for themselves in the market. We don't bet on politicians writing better policy. Uh, we don't bet on regulators, uh, you know, waving sticks at big companies. Um, you know, $370 billion for climate is a huge deal. Uh, we think it will multiply the value of our companies. We think it could speed up the deployment of things that we invest in uh, and get things to market faster. I don't think that the bets that we're making are going to require that intervention uh, in order to in order to make it big in the market. We welcome it. I'm very excited to see that that this is happening. But yeah. Well, there you heard it, folks. Someone who's actually putting risk capital to work on climate adaptation and betting on the merits of it working, regardless of what's going on in the climate. This is just better stuff, hopefully and will save us along the way. So if you want to take a look at what Kristen and her partners are up to at Lower Carbon Capital, just go over to lowercarboncapital.com and check out the portfolio they've got going. Kristen Ellis, thank you so much for joining us on Double Take. Thank you so much. It was so great being here. Investment Management North America, LLC, 
NIMNA, or the firm, is a registered investment advisor and subsidiary of the Bank of New York Mellon Corporation, BNY Mellon. The firm was established in 2021, comprised of equity and multi-asset teams from an affiliate, Mellon Investments Corporation. The firm is part of a group of affiliate companies that individually or collectively provide investment advisory services under the brand Newton, or Newton Investment Management, Newton. Newton currently includes NIMNA and Newton Investment Management Limited, Newton Limited. Any statements of opinion constitute only current opinions of NIMNA, which are subject to change and which NIMNA does not undertake to update. This publication or any portion thereof may not be copied or distributed without prior written approval from the firm. Statements are correct as of the date of the material only. This document may not be used for the purpose of an offer or solicitation in any jurisdiction or in any circumstance in which such offer or solicitation is unlawful or not authorized. The information in this publication is for general information only and is not intended to provide specific investment advice or recommendations for any purchase or sale of any specific security. Some information contained herein has been obtained from third-party sources that are believed to be reliable, but the information has not been independently verified by NIMNA. NIMNA makes no representations as to the accuracy or the completeness of such information. No investment strategy or risk management technique can guarantee returns or eliminate risk in any market environment, and past performance is no indication of future performance. The indices referred to herein are used for comparative and informational purposes only and have been selected because they are generally considered to be representative of certain markets. Comparisons to indices as benchmarks have limitations because indices have volatility and other material characteristics that may differ from the portfolio, investment, or hedge to which they are compared. The providers of the indices referred to herein are not affiliated with NIMNA, do not endorse, sponsor, sell, or promote the investment strategies or products mentioned herein, and they make no representation regarding the advisability of investing in the products and strategies described herein. Any forward-looking statements speak only as of the date they are made and are subject to numerous assumptions, risks, and uncertainties, which change over time. Actual results could differ materially from those anticipated in forward-looking statements. If distributed in the UK, EMEA, Australia, New Zealand, this podcast is issued by Newton Limited and may be deemed a financial promotion. Newton Limited is authorized and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority, FCA, 12 Endeavour Square, London, E20, 1JN, in the conduct of investment business. Register in England, number 01371973. NIM is also registered as Investment Advisors with the Securities and Exchange Commissions, SEC, to offer investment advisory services in the United States. If distributed in Canada, this podcast is issued by either Newton Limited, which is availing itself of the International Advisors Exemption, IAE, in the following Canadian provinces. Alberta, British Columbia, Ontario, and Quebec. The IAE is in compliance with National Instrument 31-103, Registration Requirement, Exemptions, and Ongoing Registrant Obligations, or NIMNA, which is availing itself of the IAE in the following Canadian provinces, Alberta, British Columbia, and Manitoba. The IAE is in compliance with National Instrument 31-103, Registration Requirements, exemptions, and ongoing registrant obligations.